You are listening to episode 1538 of the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. If you turn on this podcast as part of your regular routine, such as when gardening, running, or on your daily commute, visit the Contribute tab at thepermaculturepodcast.com and find out how you can keep this program going and growing. Now, on with the show. Today's episode is a roundtable discussion I recorded during my August visit to the Clear Creek community in Kentucky. On a warm summer evening, with individual tables arranged to create a single continuous space down the center of an old one-room schoolhouse, I was welcomed, along with my friend Eric, into the community composed of farmers, woofers, artists, teachers, builders, and architects. Together we shared a meal and sat as an extended family for the evening before beginning to pass the microphones from one another up and down the table. That led to the conversation you are about to hear. As we begin, I give thanks to Permi Kids and Jen Mendez for sponsoring this episode of the Permaculture Podcast and helping to make trips like this one, far from my home in Pennsylvania, possible. Find out more about her work on educating future generations and building community, a recurring theme of this episode, at permikids.com or by visiting the Sponsors tab at thepermaculturepodcast.com and clicking on her banner. Here is the Clear Creek Roundtable. After the interview, I share my thoughts on community building. And then here I am in this trip to Kentucky, and I've been able to stop and visit Eric and some of the members of the push, as well as a wide variety of the community members here in Clear Creek outside of Berea, Kentucky. So we're going to do a live round table, and there's, as there are 16 of us around the table, I have no idea where we're going to go, but I'm looking forward to where we'll find ourselves by the end of our time together. And so what I would like to do is just anybody who feels called to speak, who would like to talk about coming to Clear Creek in this area and becoming involved not only in the permaculture community, but also in the community building that's involved. My name is Philip, and I have been uh, connected with Clear Creek since the date of my birth. My grandmother was born in the house that's, that's hosting us tonight. I am the sixth generation that's uh, lived on Clear Creek, and it's been um, maintained and built by uh, people who were entrepreneurs and hillbillies and artists and craftsmen. They became what they needed to be at the time and have been successful over the years. So we are a continuation of that philosophy of taking what we have, taking what we've been given, and making something better out of it. So that's what I'm the host for. My name is Susana. And I have been in this community of Clear Creek for 16 years now. And I remember when I first came here, having worked in permaculture in other parts of the world, actually, I didn't feel that people really knew what permaculture was, but I felt an openness to it, not only among the homesteaders who are starting to come to this area, but not necessarily in the term in the word, but in the practice among people who have always lived here and an openness and accepting to new ways of doing things, to reserve judgment and to let things happen and to be accepting of that new weird person up on the hill doing whatever she was doing (laughs) on land that wasn't supposed to be farmland. But I also just remember that the homesteaders, some of whom have been in these rooms quite a bit that 
were here and welcomed me to the community were very open to the idea of permaculture and already practicing it in their lives. My name is Eric, and I guess in complete opposition to these two, I might be the newest member of Clear Creek, um, which is still very new for me even to say. My friends and I, we got here maybe, oh, just like a month and a half ago, actually. We were here for about three days after we got a call to come down. We've been looking for land for a long time, finding a place to settle. And in about three days, found land, made an offer, <laughs> and we're on our way to, uh, to start our livelihood here. Now we are preparing to have, our, have my first child, have our first child across the street. And I am uh, just kind of, I'm right now just kind of in elation. I'm, I'm giddy with excitement of everything that we've been talking about here with all, all the people and what is going on here, what, what we can get ourselves involved in and the projects that, that's motivating and inspiring people. And I'm just very excited to, to plug myself in in this community and, and see what we can achieve. As an outsider who's come here as a guest, it's been an incredible experience and opportunity to see how much is being practiced locally in one area. I mean, as we were commenting earlier with dinner before and the potluck before starting this evening, Susanna, six of your woofers are here, past and present. And so many people I know who have been practicing permaculture for many years are lucky if they've had that many people through ever with the opportunities and trying to get a farm off the ground and making something like that work and it's incredible to see everyone here and the different stories that have been shared with me over just the 24 hours that I've been here about the experiences and why this particular place in Kentucky seems to be almost like a spiritual home for this kind of work and for the people who choose to come here and to hear of the acceptance of the community to be up on the hill in the land that won't necessarily grow anything but then turning it into something and being able to be a part of this so quickly and some of the places where you know you have to have three generations into the ground before you are a part of that community and just in the time you've been here to be part of that and it's exciting and inspiring to be able to take what all of you have here and what you have to share back to others especially people who are new to permaculture or just completing a pdc who are all full of energy but have no idea where to go or what to do one interesting matter that, that should be communicated here, this is Philip, is uh, the people around this table include people from uh, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Florida, Chicago, Indiana, Northern Indiana, Finland, Northern Indiana, Kentucky, Iowa, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Kentucky, Kansas, and the suburbs of Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, my name is Kayla. And I'm a Kentucky girl. Uh, I think one of the only in the room, Kathy is. And I found Berea through Susanna. Clear Creek, actually, through Susanna after I found Berea. <laughs> but um, so I came here as a woofer three years ago and um, didn't really know. Well, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, kind of. Uh, I was very new to the permaculture um, idea and a natural building and, and all the principles that come uh, with permaculture. And I just really found a love through, through working with the land and nature and I just felt really connected. 
to the land and using my hands on a daily basis and, and growing the food that I'm eating and providing for my community uh, with the food that we're growing. And I came back a second year for a full season with Susanna at Salamander Springs. And I was just so deep into the work and I just I love it so much, and I love Clear Creek, and I haven't left since, so. Was that your first experience wolfing? Yes, my first experience, and uh, it's, it's definitely one to remember. In talking with people who have done farm internships and things, many of them come from backgrounds where they had been exposed to that previously. Was that something you had done with your family and others, or was it something that you just chose to do and kind of went for it and found a a connection and pleasure in it? Uh, So my mom grew a few vegetables in the garden, but it was just enough for like a little salad every once in a while. And I grew up in the suburbs of a small town, mainly groceries coming from the grocery store where my mom worked, so... So in moving from those suburbs in the supermarket, what was that first year like? Was it a big adjustment to become a woofer in a very hands-on? And from what I saw today, you know, I mean, all the integrated systems that are in place and working with your hands and really getting into those practices. Did you have an exposure to permaculture, those kinds of practices beforehand, or was it completely just an intensive jump? Um, It was a pretty intensive jump. I started uh, learning about permaculture in college, my last year of college, graduated and started an aspiring, what was it called? Aspiring agrarians course in Louisville with Stephen Bartlett, who um, does great work up there with children and with churches and does lots of food sovereignty in Latin and South America. I started taking a six month intensive course with him and uh, we started learning about hands-on farming and permaculture and biodynamics and what it means to us and what our favorite tools were to use in the garden. And I was at a loss because I had hardly ever worked in the garden and everybody was going around saying a hoe, a hand trowel, you know, all these things. And I'm like, uh, yeah, once upon a time, a long time ago, I used to use a trowel with my mom. I hadn't done it in forever. And um, I just really loved the class and loved the idea of of small-scale gardening and growing your own food and living in community. And part of the six-month course was actually working on a farm as a woofer, or well, if not as a woofer, as a volunteer. And I found Susanna at her summer solstice party that year. And then after is when I uh, took her natural building workshop. And then I basically begged her for a spot on her farm and I did not fill out the application, but somehow got the call. So I've said that was a, a very strong calling. And I moved out of the city of Lexington, working in a food industry job, out to the farm, living in a tent. <laughs> and it was amazing. Well, my name's Leah. I come here a different way than most of the rest of the young people at this table. I grew up in Florida, but my family is from Berea. So I grew up spending my summers here. And I am fifth generation of my family to live in the Berea area. And so we have sort of a different family background in some ways than Philip's family, for example. We've been farmers for a long time. My papa grew tobacco, and that was a main source of income and livelihood for him. But my family has definitely been more of the seven Dustin my granny makes peach cobbler that's canned peaches with slices of white bread and refined sugar sprinkled on top, kind of Kentucky. And I love, 
And it's delicious. My granny's peach cobbler. I'll eat it. It's delicious, but <laughs> sort of, sort of a, a different side of of what this area is. I think there's still a big population in Berea, although we have this permaculture organic focus. Uh, there is still a big population that's just Kentucky. <laughs> And so I feel um, really grateful to have made the choice three years ago to move here. And I didn't move here for Susanna's farm. I didn't move here for any farm. I didn't know a thing about farming. Uh, I had studied sustainability in college. And uh, I knew that Berea kind of had a a sustainability-related feel to it. And I just really needed a change and wanted to get closer to my family up here. Uh, so I made the move, and it's been pretty steady over the past few years that I've just been exposed to these ideas of permaculture and and sustainability in action, not just from an academic perspective. And I've worked on farms, and uh, not necessarily permaculture farms, just other organic farms in the area, really pretty like larger scale, Lazy Ape is one. Yeah, so I feel like I'm slowly being exposed to these ideas, and I still really don't know a whole lot about permaculture, but I feel like it's steadily opening up to me just by living here and being with the people I've chosen to to be around. So I I don't know how that will tie back into my family, not necessarily looking to convert my family or anything, but yeah, it's, it's just a really great community to have landed in. Especially coming from a place like Florida, where community is not necessarily a, a big focus. My name's Lucy, and I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. I came up this summer to work on Susanna's farm. I came across Susanna last November at the Biodynamic Conference in Louisville and attended her no-till staple crop production workshop. And um, I have been passionate about sustainable ag for six years now and um, staple crop production was something that really interested me because I've only worked on vegetable crop farms and that was kind of a gap that I have seen in my work and learning and so I came up here and found a lot more than just a farm. I found an amazing community that's really inspired me to go back home and um, work to cultivate I think the uh, one thing that's really brought the community together here is the sharing of knowledge. And there's just always opportunities for that and workshops. And so the, the act of sharing knowledge, I think, is one big thing that's pointed out here that has uh, helped to cultivate this community. I'm, I'm not sure what the, the proper definition of permaculture is, but I can say that the idea of using the resources that are available on the land to meet the needs of one's life have been practiced for a long time. Uh, one of the houses uh, on this property, it's a stone house with uh, basically a wood interior, is built completely from materials that were uh, scavenged more or less off of the rough hillsides of this creek. The wood, the stone, and, it, and originally the, uh, the shake roof was uh, all from locally uh, locally naturally grown materials. I guess if you could say stones are grown. So there's there's a tradition here. There's also a tradition of um, artists. Artists being accepted into a community where in some cases rural communities wouldn't be terribly open to. So there is some fundamental openness about this area that goes way back and is uh, different from uh, other places that I've experienced. We are currently in a uh, 
a one-room schoolhouse that was built in the late 1800s. It was uh, built about 100 yards from where it sits now, behind the Swinford farmhouse. It was moved here in the 50s rather brutally and set on the ground and used as a garage. Uh, as I came to understand the the buildings sitting around this property, I, I, I came to find that, that the acoustics in this place was uh, exceptional, even though it was literally sitting on the ground and rotting into the ground. Uh, a local gentleman and me raised this building off the ground and put a foundation under it, and it now serves as a, uh, a meeting house and a concert hall and an educational facility for really anyone that wants to use it. It's, uh, it's going to probably outlast me, no doubt about it. It has a, a long history in my family and for uh, people up and down the creek. So it's a, it's a source of connection for the young folks here into the uh, community of uh, elders. Susanna has made that connection into uh, the uh, indigenous elders through her uh, love of uh, farming and her methods of farming. So she's held in high esteem because of that connection. Yeah, this is Eric again. And I guess... You know, before I was talking about how we, we got here and within three days decided that this was the place that we wanted to buy land. And we never really elaborated on how that, that process happened. I think when Phil's talking about this building, to me, that this, this building symbolized a lot of what we were looking for, actually. We weren't looking for four walls with two that were a bit longer than the other ones. And, you know, it was painted yellow and... It was about what it meant. It was a symbol as a, as, a, as a cornerstone and a place for a rural community to come together and, and do things like this um, and meet together. And that it is so well maintained and, and, and look like taken care of and, and looked after just means that there's such a robust community here. Um, and we saw that right away. It was no, it was no doubt to us. We've, we've been traveling around the world for, I don't know, what, two, three years We've seen a lot of places. We've been to a lot of permaculture communities. We've been to a lot of different cities and hubs, a lot of different communities that kind of work together. And in my personal experience, I've never seen anything like this here in Berea. This is a special thing that, that is, is, is truly a blessing to see the interconnectedness and, and the desire to want to work together and the openness that especially this land has to offer as we were accepted in Right away, we were able to put our tent up and, and have a place to stay, and there was no question about that. <laughs> Integrated right into a big community house where you've heard from Kayla and Leah and Mira and Adam all live in right now. And so it's been, uh, it's been a joyful experience for all of us, and I think it's, it's incredible to occupy this space now where we have a strong platform to even build more on. We have... There's been so many things that have been done before we got here that just enables more and more and more and more to keep happening and more and more interconnectedness and more and more permaculture and more and more discussions and more and more thoughts. And so I'm just excited to see where these things go, I guess. Seeing this community and in my 16 hours or so of being conscious in Kentucky since we, we landed yesterday... Many of you have had conversations with me that have been incredibly candid about the places you come from and the work that you're doing and how you're making all these things possible. And for being in Pennsylvania and having a lot of the conversations about constructing community and trying to do something intentionally, I've learned so much just in my time here being able to interact with all of you and to see how 
different folks who have just kind of been put together in different ways because of being in this area with these shared dreams in some ways and the way that you're all making it work that I can return to Pennsylvania with new models and new methods and new ideas of how we can make this happen. And I know, Eric, you and I have talked off and on for several years about, you know, how do you build community and things like that from like the space and background that I come from that is very like a legalese structured, organized, very like East Coast kind of perspective on things. And coming down here has been really helpful in how can we launch these kinds of projects? Because I know I have a huge bias towards this perspective, but about the need to build community, about the need to have people around us that we can rely on. And the other Eric, the Eric that I brought with me, um, part of the, the conversation that we were having on the way down and even around the other pieces of discussion have been about like the financial side of things because the the spaces that we come from are always about the dollars and cents first whether or not they make personal sense that it's the financial capital is the place where it begins but in seeing the way that all these different components work and how everyone fits together in all this that there are really ways that we can do this wherever we live and it's just finding a way with the tools that we have available with permaculture with the people who we know to leverage all that to make something functional and I thank everybody for being honest with me in the ways that you have because of the difference that it makes when I return to Pennsylvania and then being able to share this conversation via the podcast as it goes out for people to hear what you're doing so that we can begin replicating it without having to go to Brooklyn, Los Angeles, Asheville, those other places where communities already exist that we can do something in place. And this is the other Eric chiming in. I came down here with Scott pretty much having absolutely no clue as to what permaculture was and not even realizing that a community has been set up here. And looking at this from a complete outside view, and I gotta say, it's entirely strange to me. It's entirely foreign and alien, and as much as I don't quite fully understand it, from conversations I've had with several people here, I am astounded at what is possible and what you guys have done here. I'm also fully understand, I think a little bit better, the struggle that is going to happen to try to bring this type of community and try to bring this type of living to the rest of at least the United States versus not even the rest of the world, just the difference the stark difference between black and white, what you do and what the rest of us are really used to. And I'm going to have to come back almost as often as Scott to understand it a little bit more because I think you guys, I know Susanna definitely has a fantastic farm set up and what little I've known of permaculture before, what she has set up is exactly what I expected to see. And then to look at everything else and see that all of the different ways to do it, it's mind-blowing, really. And it also challenges every preconceived notion I've had of permaculture and that there's not one set. There's not one set of beliefs. And I think that's, for me, the hardest part to understand. Because coming from a technical background, coming from a scientific background, permaculture has a definition for me. But... I don't know what that definition is because that definition changes per person. And that's, that to me is a hard struggle. And I know that's going to be a hard struggle for a lot of people because if you tell somebody that you deal in, that, that you work on a permaculture farm or that you live in a community that practices permaculture and they go to a, de a, a dictionary to look up the definition of permaculture, 
who knows what they're going to find versus who knows, you know, what they're going to find when they go to whoever it is it told them about permaculture and then go to somebody else who also practices permaculture and see something completely different. It's just, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how to process all of it other than to take it all in and learn from it and learn that some of my preconceptions are wrong and learn that I need to understand more. So does everybody want to break the other Eric's brain a little bit more and we'll go around the table and we can each define permaculture for ourselves and see what comes out and what people connect with? I'll start. My favorite comes, it's attributed to Peter Bain from when I took my permaculture design course many years ago, was that ultimately permaculture is about building happy communities powered by the sun. This is Philip. For me, and I'm still putting this definition together, for me, permaculture is a way of life and it involves the social aspects of living, the cultural aspects of building life and increasing uh, education and enlightenment. And the, the third component is activism, and activism on behalf of the local community and as allowed activism in behalf of what we all consider important in our lives, which is air, water, and food. This is Susanna speaking, and I'll just add to that from a farmer's perspective. Often when I teach farmers. I focus on the principles. There's a lot of principles in, in permaculture, but the one that really connects is the imitation of nature and natural systems. If we look at that in so many different aspects of agriculture and let alone our lives, we see that you know, the perfection of nature and how it's not a formula. It's not like you apply this much fertilizer and you do this and this, this and this. It's just learning from nature's feedback. I had a lot of that this year. I was talking about the whole key line and maybe the rice paddies because of our swampy rain. There's just so much change. There's no one recipe. And I love that about permaculture, but it is also nerve wracking when you, something that's worked for years. It's like, oh, and yeah. So I think that is always at the top of the list. And many things go under that. You know, when we imitate natural systems, that means we close the loop in all of our lives as best we can in the system that we're in, which includes right now for me salvaging a lot of stuff out of the dumpster because that's the way I can close a loop right now. And, you know, not pooping in water and, you know, dealing with a solar electric system that frustrates me because it's maybe, you know, I lived so many years in Latin America without it that. And that, that's got its issues, too. Powered by the sun, like Peter Bain says, maybe not necessarily needing to store it in batteries that I don't know what the sustainability of them are <laughs> when I'm just trying to run a freezer all the time. <laughs> that's enough. Uh, do you mind if I give my, an introduction to myself first? I feel the need to enter the room. Mira, go ahead. Thank you for your permission. A few things have been like flowing through my mind and of like where I come from and what has brought me here. And some of the things are just where I'm coming from, like just my identity. Like I grew up in the suburbs and basically my way of connecting with this earth was connecting through my body. So I, I studied dance for many years and uh, that's where I continued to focus in um, like a higher education. So I, I majored in that when I went to college and basically really wanted to 
learn more about science, but I failed or dropped out of several biology classes um, because that material was not accessible to me in the way that it was being presented, even though it was fascinating to me. So there was like one farming class. It was basically, I had the opportunity to intern with some local farmers and we would eat bread and butter and drink coffee and I would just kind of go meet their chickens and sheep and goats and stack stone fences and at the end of the season we dug potatoes and it was like the first real food that I felt like I could get my hands on and it was awesome. So I'm coming from that. Working with my body has been really important um, before I knew how to work the land. And I guess in terms of the question of what is permaculture, I think about like many, many generations of being able to subsist on a piece of land and to also to create a culture that is intertwined with like the stories of the land and the energy of the land and the animals and the fruits and the insects, the hummingbirds, everybody who's involved. So I was really, really lucky to be able to travel. I went to Peru when I was in college and I got to live with different families. And um, I remember like the biggest thing that I was hungry for when I returned was a way to root into the hills of the place where I'm from. So I did get started on just woofing actually, going from farm to farm, and I was lucky to land in a few places where I just learned a lot from really powerful women who I want to honor at this table. Actually, three come to mind, Sloan, Adrian, and Susanna. They kind of helped to immerse me in the world of agriculture and uh, more recently in permaculture. So, I don't know, I'm rambling on at this point, but I I also want to bring to the table that I, I come from a Jewish identity, and within the past few years, I went to a workshop that was hosted by two people, one who has been studying the Shemitah cycle, which is a cycle in the ancient biblical texts that basically, I don't know, I'm not an expert on it, but it, in the seventh year, there's an opportunity for rest with in the land and um, hopefully within the human. So that was tied into permaculture in that workshop. And so um, that fascinates me. And the idea that there can be rest for the land and not a constant cycle of expansion, but also a cycle that includes contraction and rest is really an important aspect of permaculture for me. So I think that's all I've got to say. With that study of Shemitah, was that through the Jewish Farm School in Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you touched on there was that that ritual and that connection through your body and through dance. One of the common threads through some of the conversations this weekend has been about that ritual and how do we connect? How do we reconnect with the earth? Some of that was through, you know, physical practices of growing food. Or for others, it was about, you know, connection through people. And that role that ritual has in creating a space in which we can, as you say, from coming 
from a Jewish identity, that space that we create through ritual and identity that is safe then to practice and to discover more about ourselves and the world around us has been a really big piece of permaculture for me as a movement, as opposed to just a design system, because everybody I've met, regardless of how different we are from our backgrounds, the arrival at permaculture never seems to be a straight line. There's, there's a wander to get here in one way or another, either through childhood and discovering it early or becoming an adult and then questing for a while and then coming to it. But everybody has these very diverse backgrounds before we land here. But then when we do, we have this commonality through permaculture that provides a way for us to know one another and to communicate with one another, regardless of how different we are. And thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate hearing the way that you connect and how different that is because I don't really have two left feet and I don't dance, like, dan no, dance. And, <laughs> you know, my connection was through people and my children and family and those kinds of connections, but how each and every one of us has a different way to do this and how important that is to feel safe to honor that in ourselves and to be able to respect that and honor that in the others within our community to help build those connections and then that intimacy. Yeah, I mean, just looking around this table is awesome. And here, everybody has so many different stories. I'm Adam. I'm often like one of the last to speak, but I guess <laughs> over this past year, I've been a little bit more vocal. Sometimes I think I talk too much even. Um, <laughs> but one way for me to connect with the land is to just to just listen. A few weeks ago, at Clear Creek Festival Grounds, we put on a theater performance. And um, my piece, we had multiple different stations. Each of us had our own little piece. And my piece, I didn't really have a character. I, I was just myself. And I, uh, I led a little ceremony to listen to the land and to listen to water and ask it what it needs. And um, I feel like Going into it, I was planning on just speaking a whole lot about the problems that water faces and talk about pollution and talk about how like fracking would destroy our water here, but I didn't even need to say that. Just had to ask people to just be quiet and, and listen to the water. That really moved people and moved me. This is Kathy. I am Philip's partner. We've been together about four and a half years. And the very first garden I ever participated in was with Philip in the backyard here. And the very first time I heard the word permaculture was probably from Susanna at one of the potlucks or parties. One of the fundamental important pieces of community that I have really been so excited about is our Sunday coffees that we have. We host a Sunday coffee uh, here at the schoolhouse, and uh, it starts at nine o'clock. And then in, we have yoga and other events are planned kind of at the spare of the moment. But it um, involves a lot of spontaneity and a lot of authenticity, lots of creative minds, and a lot of open-hearted love. And that's part of my favorite aspects. I'm Heather. I first came here last fall from Indianapolis. I lived in the city, grew up in the city, and 
started volunteering at community gardens in my city, and that was my introduction to agriculture. It was a completely distant in my family history. My grandmother grew up on a farm, and I always enjoyed hearing her stories about living on a farm and what that was like. But other than that, it was just very, very distant for me. And I started looking at farms that I wanted to travel to, and I came across Salamander Springs and didn't know anything about permaculture, but just knew that, like, I had to go there. There was, like, you know, just pictures online, like natural building, workshops, and just all the integrated systems and diversity, and I just, like, this is it. Like, I've never heard of this before, but there's, like, something, there's something here. Like, this is, like, the heart of something that, you know, I just have to see and spent a month um, last fall and came back this spring and been here for the full season. And it's just been an amazing learning experience. Pretty much like everything was like new to me, but it's just like all fell into place. And one of my first, like my first three, di- three days, like when I first came to Clear Creek, there was a potluck and I just thought like it was just like the coolest thing like you know people just like coming together and like sharing food and you know it came from like someone's garden or somewhere in the community and that's just like a regular regular thing like it's like once a week like there's like something going on or like you know to bring people together and it's just an amazing thing like what better way to bring people together than food and you know just don't really have to have any other kind of itinerary, although there often is. But yeah, that's just an amazing, amazing part about what I really appreciate about this community. And then just with permaculture, I just think of just how the, you know, the way the systems are designed just creates that space for people to gather. Whereas like in a another farming system like you know like there's not going to be space for like a nice like sitting area or a place for like a swing for kids to play or you know there's just that that space is there where like you know the garden the food it's not separate it's just it's just a part you know like of your life of your daily experience whatever you're doing and that's just just a really beautiful thing well, I'm going to leave this up to Heather, but Heather had a story this spring during mulberry harvest time that really impacted me. And it, when we were talking about stories, I just feel like that's representative of, can, do you feel like telling the story of the mulberry tree in the city? Yeah, it's Heather again. I grew up with a mulberry tree like in my backyard and lived um, in the city, Indianapolis, lived in an apartment and you know, we're like right off like the highway. So like highway was like right there. But there's some trees like in the backyard and there were some like far enough off where there was like, you know, quite a few trees that I would like call that like the forest and like that's where I would go to like play and like climb trees. And it was just like, you know, like that was my spot. I'd just go there, climb, like sit in the tree all day and eat, eat mulberries until like my mom like called me home. And as I've gotten older, it's just like, been this just memory that's just really stuck with me as just something like so special 
um, just like the mulberry trees and um, and there's mulberry trees on on the farm Salamander Springs and even before they were they were fruiting like I was just like having these like just like reoccurring like very vivid dreams of like returning to like the mulberry trees of like my youth and like climbing them and like the berries are like the size of my like palm and like just like beautiful and like showing people like how to like pick them and like which ones are the best and just yeah like all these dreams and so it was just a really incredible thing like when it was time to pick the mulberries like I get to spend my mornings like climbing the mulberry tree and like shaking it and gathering the berries and then you know like eating them and packaging them up to like take them to market to like share with other people and it was just yeah, it was a really cool thing. I felt like I was like, I don't know, getting back to getting back to something. It was one of my early connections with my children was the other Eric came to my house and helped us install a strawberry patch. And my earliest memories as a child were sitting in between the spring onions and the strawberries, spring onions in one hand, strawberries in the other, and just shoving one bite of one in my mouth, one bite of the other. Just, you know, for all the time, my parents knew that they would find me smelling of onions and covered in red. And then finally, when my, when my children were of age and were beginning to toddle to take them down to that strawberry patch that I had planted with a, with a good friend and to teach my children about strawberries, though... In teaching my daughter and having that connection to my own youth with her about telling her that the red ones are the ones that are fresh then turning my back to work on something and turning back and finding that all the strawberry plants that did not have red berries on them had been stripped and she says daddy they're all ripe now (laughs) this is philip uh heather touched on probably the most important aspect of community building that has been basically introduced to me somewhat by accident. Kathy and I have hosted uh, weekly coffees for uh, three years now. And through the wintertime, there'd be ice on the roads and we would be uh, uh, up and making coffee and and very much assured that no one would show up under such circumstances. And an hour later, there would be 18 or 20 people in the kitchen having three different conversations and it would be just totally marvelous. This may not appear to be an important aspect of community building, but, but what is happening can reveal itself under, under different circumstances. So this, this weekly gathering of a variety of different people uh, allowed us to coalesce around an assault, an assault that was brought to us by the fracking industry. People walked up and down and drove up and down this creek offering to buy people's uh, mineral rights. And it was a, just a few days after that first introduction to what might be coming our way that a small group of people gathered in this schoolhouse and sat in a circle with puzzled look on their faces on, you know, what are we going to do? And there was a wide variety of people. There were the local folks that have been here for generations, and there were folks from all over the world, part of this uh, conversation. And we could get into that serious subject very quickly and easily because we have practiced talking about simple things, light things, and serious things for years. Every week we have that opportunity. So this uh, circle of 20 people in the schoolhouse a month, maybe six weeks later, transitioned into over 400 people meeting in Berea at a uh, community center there. Serious, serious issues to be confronted. 
This fracking of salt is all around us and everyone that hears anything about it should be prepared to address it. We had the opportunity to, to speak about serious things because we had practiced and we had practiced routinely. So building community is not necessarily something that you need to read a book about. It's something that needs to happen routinely. And then when it's time to deal with a serious issue, you're already prepared. It's an important aspect. It's maybe the most important aspect. There was some fun made of our weekly coffees by local people, and it's always fun to make fun. And, and sometimes they do seem frivolous, but the ability to come together around serious issues, no matter what they are, and, and who knows what they're going to be tomorrow, is enough. It's worth it. And there's many other, other aspects of, of community living that make it worthwhile. Sunday Coffee uh, has uh, become a little more structured over the past uh, several weeks. And we are participating in a midday, this is Clear Creek Standard Time that we, uh, that we gather by, and we are actually taking notes around important subjects of community building, and, the, and it's a whole variety of issues. It relates to uh, permaculture issues and how the teachers can uh, help the learners in whatever this cycle of uh, information transfer is. It has to do with taking what we are learning and have learned and reaching out beyond our community. And there's going to be a website that's going to evolve out of this, uh, this little community that hopefully is going to reach internationally. We're going to share these matters that have come to us out of open hearts. The subjects that we discuss on Sunday midday uh, are, are as varied as the people who come to the discussions. We take notes, we publish the notes, and we keep a cycle rolling where people can get into the conversation whether they were a part of the conversation last week or the week before or not. So we're trying to create some energy out of the, the, the rolling idea of discussion and, and, and community and sharing. Before you asked a question of what our definition of permaculture is, and it's, it's, it's interesting, Interesting to try to define this word, actually, because I, I feel that it's, it's ever-evolving for myself, actually. Scott, you mentioned before that, you know, maybe this is more of a movement than it is a, a, a design science, and I think I, I completely agree with you. You know, five years ago, I found myself, like, just, I moved to the woods. We found some land, and I lived next to a glacier river, and I was just hanging out. And we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know the word permaculture. We didn't, I mean, we kind of knew what organic food was. But really, no. I mean, we just had a deep, deep desire to just get out there and just live in the Oregon woods next to a glacier river and, and, and take our baths in this free-flowing river and, and try to catch fish. And I was learning how to play banjo. And Lauren built a chicken coop. We had chickens because we just wanted, we wanted eggs. It was a really good idea. We were growing uh, starts. We, we bought starts from a, a local nursery because we didn't think we could grow things from seed. You know, that's crazy. That's really hard. You can get starts. It's a lot easier. And it's been, you know, permaculture has been introduced slowly because it's, okay, that's what we want to do. We, we found this joy, this quality of life that's connecting with the earth, that's connecting with nature, that's, that's giving us like, an excitement, connecting with each other in deeper and meaningful ways. We're sitting around a fire at night instead of a TV and we're just enjoying life more. And then, oh, okay, we, how do we do this actually? You know, how do we make this really work? And, and permaculture, it means, per, you know, originally intentionally was uh, permanent culture. And okay, so how do we use this tool to make this work? 
a long time. How, okay, how do we actually take a step back and how do we design this and how do we how do we make this 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 more functional? And it's as simple as Sunday morning coffee, right? That that's it. That's a huge part of it. It's just, it's when you know my back hurts, I can go get free yoga, you know, after after Sunday morning coffee with Leah, and um, we did restorative yoga last weekend. It was it was exactly what I needed, you know. Or we get like a, a beautiful meal that, you know, I couldn't dream of ever purchasing in a, in a restaurant, you know, in my yearly income from Adam. And it's like, this just happens sometimes. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, and I can't, I can't even callously say everybody else here who's, who's contribute things. And that to me, that's permaculture. That's permanent community. That's real joy. That's a, that's a reason to wake up in the morning. That's a reason to continue doing this. And, and so I just... Yeah, that, I guess that's my definition. Is this? This is this is permaculture right now. Eating cake. <laughs> With everything that we've covered in our time talking about stories and community and permaculture here in Clear Creek, before we draw this conversation to a close, as I look around the table, I'd like to open the floor for anyone to share anything that they would like. Uh, this might be kind of rambling, but we'll see how it goes. This is Leah again. Like I said, I'm I'm new to this idea of permaculture and haven't studied it in any formal way, but I'm coming to realize that I am studying it just by living and in this community. And I guess part of what I've been realizing within this model lately is that kind of this has already been touched on, but permaculture and community can take many different forms and there's a place for everyone within within that community. You know, this is the first time that I felt like I like had a place and it's not because I'm a stellar gardener. I think I killed all of the seeds that I planted in the greenhouse. <laughs> Nothing germinated in the garden I planted. <laughs> Even cowpeas died. <laughs> But regardless, <laughs> excuse me just for a minute. I, I think you did have one successful plan at you least, ran and I over cut it down. I'm so sorry. But but my my real passion lies in people, and I've heard you I've heard you mention this in in the health of people, and I teach yoga, and I I care a lot about. Uh, teaching good body mechanics so that the people who are out there gardening and, and taking care of this place in other ways can be healthy and fit. And I just, I'm coming to see how we are all complements, like puzzle pieces. And it's not like there's even a puzzle that we are trying to create when comparing it to some boxed form. Uh, but it's it's a puzzle of our own making that sometimes makes no sense and is maybe all corner pieces and... <laughs> It's often a lot of harsh edges, but but by God, we all have a spot. So maybe that's permaculture. My name is Aaron, and um, I worked with Susanna in uh, 2012. And I'm here um, because I had a conversation with someone in Tennessee. I simply, I simply told him, uh, this man, what I wanted to do, and I was particularly inspired by Masanobu Fukuoka, who wrote The One Straw Revolution. And I told him that I wanted to find a place where I could, I could actually practice these, these methods of farming. And um, lo and behold, this man actually had the, had, you know, pointed me to this, this doorway over here. And 
He's like, well, you should, you should talk to this, this person named Susanna Lean, who lives in Berea, Kentucky, um, and that she has a work exchange program on her farm teaching people how to do, how to do something like what Masanobu Fukuoka did in Japan, but acclimated to the North American uh, continent. But that's just, that's just one of the things that I came here to do. I also came here with, with uh, two ideas that I've had for probably the last six or seven years. And these ideas came from living at a place called Dancing Rabbit Eco Village in Missouri. So one of the ideas is uh, to take a rainwater catchment system and to implement a music-making machine in between uh, the roof and the catchment uh, cistern. So every time it would rain, this machine would turn on and start clattering around and making a bunch of noise and maybe playing a song or two. Um, <laughs> so that's something that I've been, I'm working on right now. Does it have any practical implementations? I, I don't see any. <laughs> uh, but it's, 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 a, it's a thing of wonder for me. It's a, I, I guess it's symbolic of, maybe it's not symbolic, but reaching for definitions. Um, I, I enjoy listening to the rain and I'm trying to apply an idea to play with the rain as it's falling and to, to listen to the response that I get from that interplay and seeing what can be done to improve this machine, what you know, small pieces of it can be changed out at a time. So yeah, that's one idea. The other idea is to grow a living willow house. And this is something that's already being done around the world, planting willow reeds and interweaving the branches into the shape of a house structure. And I don't intend to live in it myself, but just to create this idea that maybe I got from someone else and to, to try it out and to see, maybe this is just a small step in, the, in this process that you know, so many generations are, are taking on before and after our time. And this is just a small piece of that huge, huge evolution of, of change that's happening. I'm thinking of a, a French artist who actually illustrated this, this, his vision of a, future, of a future world where entire civilizations will be constructed from a sort of uh, interplay or inner exchange with the plant world. Buildings will be, will be made out of living materials that, you know, that are born and they decay and windows that are, that are somehow made out of the wings of, of flies, that same sort of kind of material that, um, but anyway, yeah, I'm just, I'm rambling as well. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just, I'm here in Berea to, to kind of uh, explore the ideas that I have, the things that I, that I, that I dream of and, and to, to bring them into this physical reality to share with, with everybody around me and to just, just have fun, really. And that vision that you share with us, Aaron, is a reminder that sometimes gets lost when we're looking for practical solutions that permaculture should be fun too. It doesn't necessarily need to be practical if it delights the soul and the community around us. Absolutely. Come on down to Clear Creek. <laughs> <laughs> From the Kentucky girl. This is the other Eric again. And as is a closing thought, and I'm going to actually reference the other Eric, because he said something that just made permaculture click for me. 
as you put it, and I'm going to use my own words for this, permaculture is less the application of a physical science of farming and more of an application of a social science of community. And I think that's where I have always gotten hung up on because I've always expected that permaculture to be the farming aspect of it. And I'm wrong. It's the social aspect of it. It's, it's been said here a couple of times, this, this round table, this community, this is permaculture. And that's why I never understood it before. I think a lot of people look at how to create permanent community, permanent culture, and, and they look at, uh, we need food. And so it's one of the first things that we start, start looking at and trying try to figure out, you know, and, and, and the space that I occupy is building, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm, we're trying to figure out how to build structures and I would, I would love to build out of butterfly wings and fly. I mean, this is exactly where, where, where Lauren and I talk a lot and, and our friend Michael as well. And, and I think, you know, these are just very practical things that we need to figure out when, when creating a, a more permanent culture, more permanent community. And, but there's, there's tons, tons to it. And it's, it's a beautiful place where we can occupy, where there's folks that can think about rain machines, man. That's awesome. That is also part of permaculture. <laughs> Aaron's uh, rain machine is a metaphor for building community because you have, it is. You have a variety of people who have a variety of backgrounds coming from a variety of areas that will somehow be stitched together using the natural forces. That's a definition of permaculture for me. That's why I love David Holgram's flower, because it does start with what we eat, but it moves into shelter. It moves into all the aspects of living in a community, spiritual, cultural, social, economic systems. We have to look at all of it. We have to rebuild it all. And Philip has used or shared with me one of my favorite quotes is Bucky Fuller's quote, and that is building your own model instead of waiting for change from the outside. And I feel like that's what we're doing here in Kentucky. And it's really, for me, having been here 16 years, it's just so inspiring to see the change in acceptance of the idea of what permaculture is and the understanding and the just recognition of of the whole idea of what permaculture is or could be. So... I think we have, we can go from there. As we've talked about Aaron's rain machine, I think that I want one that plays tubular bells. So every time it rains, it really freaks out my neighbors. But thank you all for being a part of this conversation this evening. I had no idea really where this would go in opening the floor. And I never really know where any of the interviews or conversations will go. But thank you all for being a part of this. And that concludes the roundtable discussion recorded with the Clear Creek community outside of Berea, Kentucky. If you want to find out more, I recommend contacting Eric Perot and The Push at thepush.org, who can get you in touch with others in the area. When they get the community website completed, expect to find links shared through Facebook, Twitter, and all the other forums for connecting with the podcast, so you can see what they're up to and what their ongoing discussions are. A standing invitation remains for me to go back down to the area, and currently I have plans developing for my next trip. I want to record an extended, individual interview with Susanna Lane of Salamander Springs Farm, who in addition to speaking with us here, appeared in the film Inhabit. Ziggy and April from The Year of the Mud also live in the area, and I plan to tour their space and speak with them, 
on record during this next trip. Ziggy and I traded email during the lead-up to my trip to Kentucky, and I found out that he was traveling north to Ben Falk's place while I journeyed south, but we both intend for our paths to cross soon. Opportunities like this trip to Kentucky depend on the support of listeners and the sponsorship of people doing good work such as Jen Mendez at Permi Kids. In addition to her podcasts that explore the topics of children, permaculture, and education, which I recommend you check out if your work involves any of these three subjects, she also offers a number of courses on educational design, an ongoing series of edge alliances, topical webinars with featured guests, and personal consultations. Recently, she added a series of electronic campfires in cooperation with Dr. David Blumenkrantz and the Center for Youth and Community that expand on the recent conversation we shared on youth and community development and rites of passage. Find out more at permikids.com. Should you decide to join in any of these courses or other offerings, know that Jen extended a discount of 10% off of her courses and other materials to Patreon supporters. Find out more about that program at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. Revisiting this material while editing it and spending the time that I did in Clear Creek showed the possibilities we create when living with one another rather than just living near. Once our basic needs of food, shelter, clothing, and human interaction get met by living in community with one another, space opens up to explore the many roles that each individual, every one of us, fills as well as examine our relationships with others. Just in the short time that I was in Clear Creek, I saw how time existed for conversations that, as Philip mentioned at the round table, go deep. That dialogue and space that gets created allows hard problems to get worked out without the need for some kind of formal arbitration or judicial system. Explicit rules become unnecessary to keep and maintain the community when those involved know, trust, and care about one another. That reinforced for me the need that each of us get right with ourselves and right with others so we can come to truly live in community and rely on our fellows so when a crisis hits, people come together to create a plan and take action rather than pay lip service or do nothing. That gave me a better understanding of what I personally require to create an intentional community and how to make it work. We build the kind of intimacy and trust that, at the moment, I only have with a handful of people. Moving forward in my own life, once the current dust settles and I land on my feet again, I want to build more relationships that have that kind of closeness to them. And I think that the way to do so is to adopt that idea of Sunday coffee and keep my door open for whoever wants to come by and talk and get to know one another better. To create a standing invitation for whoever wants to break bread with me, to do so on a regular, routine basis, ideally weekly. A tradition I once participated in, called Soup Night, saw a bunch of people get together over a few pots of soup with bread and other foods to spend time together. Though we all came from different backgrounds, we met around the table, around the food, and talked, sometimes late into the night. Though I last participated in Soup Night probably a decade ago, some people I met there count among those I could live with in community. Even with this time that separated us, we could rekindle those relationships fairly quickly because of the foundations that were laid so long ago by becoming close to one another. Many people I know now, I don't know well enough to feel comfortable 
creating community with. Building that kind of community, however, does not require everyone living there to drink beer together and hang out every night of the week like friends. But we should have the trust and respect to know that if anything happened to one or the other, we would be there to see their basic needs continue to get met. That the intention and desire to create community comes from a place of authenticity and concern for others. With how far so many of us live from one another, and how little time we seem to have because of the many priorities and requirements of this modern life we live, we need a shift to give up some of those places where our time gets sunken away, so that we can make building community a priority to get to know one another with depth and understanding. Food, drink, celebration, these ways, these rituals, we can come together around. How would you bring people to your table and into your community? I'd love to hear from you. Call 717-827-6266 or email show at permaculturepodcast.com. From here, the next Permabite episode comes out next week, based on my trip to the Mother Earth News Fair in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. After that, on Thursday, October 1st, I release the interview with Jason Gadeski to talk about collaborative storytelling, culture, and his tabletop role-playing game, The Fifth World. Upcoming interviews begin with a member of the Office of Sustainability from Western Michigan University to discuss the Gibbs House, a permaculture-focused initiative on campus. After that, Sandor Katz joins me to talk about fermentation. If you have any questions for them, or me, get in touch. Until the next time, take care of Earth, yourself, and each other.